Amen. So open up, if you would, to, to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. I'm going to pick up where Pastor Lee left off, which was in Daniel 2. He was speaking. Uh, if you're familiar, if you've grown up in church for any amount of time and you've heard about the end times, the end times, what does that look like? That's a very popular thing. It's been very popular in our century as we have seen so many things change ever since the beginning of this century. It's always been very popular, but especially even now as we see AI on the scene and, and many things become possible now that never were. Uh, Pastor Lee was saying the other day that Revelation, it speaks of this statue and it's given life. Well, there is actually an art exhibit that had been planned. I'm not sure if it's still on tour. And it's this, this statue that's 30, 40 feet tall and it's able to shift even its image and to speak to people uh, the way it looks, things like this. It's just the technology that we have now. And AI, it would be quite easy to think in 10 years the way technology progresses to have something like that that can just respond very quickly and with the algorithm and everything that's in there, whatever it has, just to interact with you on such a, a level, you know, and idolatry is, it's not this thing far away like Pastor Lee has expressed. In New York City, there are even statues that have been placed on buildings to, to abortion, glorifying abortion, deifying abortion. This goddess, this golden looking statue there, as if it's this great thing that has been given, <clears throat> excuse me, to man. <clears throat> this is not ancient. We are not progressed to this point of enlightenment. We are not these enlightened people that are beyond all these things. It's very much among us. And as a gap of faith is in the culture, it will not remain empty. Our, we are black holes. We will pull into us that, that there's a spiritual hole. We will pull something. We will be attracted by demons to do worship to something, even when that thing is ourselves. Because that's really, apart from Christ, who we all worship anyway. That's what the whole LGBTQ thing is. It's, it's this is my identity. Receive it. Give that to me that I might give myself worship and gratification and all these things. <clears throat> But in the book of Daniel, we see the vision of four earthly kingdoms. But then we see the kingdom of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, I want to review this. It says, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV today. So if it reads a little bit differently, it's okay. Um, if you'd prefer to read, if, if it's a bit distracting for you to read something different, if you're not distracted, then read your version. That is perfectly fine. I am so grateful for, to God for all of the good translations we have been given. When there was a time that it was death to even know the Lord's Prayer in your language and not Latin, the fact that we have so many faithful, now there's some bonker ones out there and we could talk about that later. There are so many faithful translations today given to us. How amazing. How rich we are. Let us use them to the glory of God. Daniel 2.31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearing was frightening. The head of this image of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff 
of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 44, chapter 2. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. How amazing. God takes his kingdom, and he absolutely destroys everything else. The stone is the kingdom of God. And it comes, and it crashes, and it destroys all the earthly kingdoms that are erected upon the earth to try to rule over man. What's amazing is you see gold, silver, bronze, iron. What is stone compared to that? At, 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 you know, just at first glance. Is stone more valuable or cheaper than gold, silver, bronze? It's a very common material, right? It's that common thing, this kingdom of God that we, we just can't see here. It just, it, it seems like nothing. People would mock, where is your God and where is his coming? And that is the very thing that, G, that God uses to destroy the kingdoms of this earth. I love that. I love that. This common material, it seems like nothing. And that's the thing that destroys all the pomp, all the glory of all the kingdoms in the earth that partners with Satan. No power in hell and no power on earth, even partnered together, can withstand the powerful kingdom of Jesus Christ. That, king, that stone is God's kingdom and God himself will fully establish that kingdom on the earth in a moment of time. It says it is not by human hand. It is not by human hand. There's, there is something called, there are many end times views. There are many charts. There are many graphs. There are many things. And even in church history, you'll find that many different things arose. It, that's a very interesting thing, right? There's something even called post-millennialism, which at a high level would say, we will bring the kingdom of God to earth. We will fill the spheres. We will prepare the culture. We will prepare the way of the Lord. And then he will come back. We will establish it. But we have to be careful. It says, by no human hand. It is not by the efforts, even of good things, like evangelism, or discipleship, or influencing the culture, which we must do, which we are called to do. Things were affected in the Roman Empire through Christianity. Things were affected in Africa, and Asia, in America, through the gospel. Through the gospel. Light has come. Hospitals were built. Schools were built. Why do you think you have Baptist Hospital, Methodist Hospital, and different areas? Christians did these things. So we live for a heavenly kingdom, yes, but also with great practical purposes. But no matter how good we do, no matter how well in obedience we even do, we are not going to establish this fully upon the earth. God, by his hand, is going to do this. And it is going to be glorious. He is a man of war. The psalm says that the Lord is a man of war and he is going to ride into battle and he is going to get the victory. It's already won, but he's going to live it out. 
Jesus will come on his white horse. From his mouth will proceed the word of God and put to death all of his enemies and the blood will be to the bridle and it will touch his robe. He was the lamb at his first coming. He will remove the church at his rapture, but at his second, behold, he is going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is not coming again to be crucified, and he is not coming again to submit to his father and allowing himself to be put to death. But he will say, where are those who said unto me, like in Psalm 2, put off the king, put off the son, let us throw off his chains, bring them before me. I will rule them with a rod of iron. I'm glad that my God is both tender and tough. I'm glad that he is sweet and strong. I'm glad that he is a God of war who also came as a baby. Because it means no matter what my need is, he is able to enter into that place as sweetly as he needs or as firmly as he needs. He is God Almighty and he is going to establish his kingdom. I want us to look now at Daniel chapter 7 here. Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 through 14. I love this passage. I love this passage. This, along with Psalm 2 and the end of Revelation, have become so sweet to me. The idea of Jesus as king has become this real thing to me. Uh, Things that, that were always there that I never saw that began to connect Scripture to me. Throughout all of it, this became one of those themes. Daniel 7, chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. Excuse me, please. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, this Antichrist. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. This is why Jesus would say son of man in the, in the gospels. It's not that he's son of man because he was born of man, though that's true, and son of God because he was God. It's a title. It's a Jewish, messianic, kingly title. It represents something. When Jesus says, I'm the son of man, Watch what people do with the Son of Man. Watch, because this was the understanding Jesus spoke to his audience with, the Jewish people, when he said, I'm the Son of Man. They, they knew Daniel. They knew this book. There came one like a Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. He comes before God the Father. And to him, that's the, this is the Son of Man, was given dominion. Glory, a kingdom, people, nations, languages should serve him. And really, the better translation of that word would be worship him. It means both things. If you look all through Daniel and it says, we will not serve your God. What he's really saying is we're not going to worship. Service in the way of worship. 
So understand here the kingdom, the nations, the languages, and maybe your Bible or your translation says that. It says, worship him. Who is that? Who is that in Revelation that every tribe, tongue, and nation worships? The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Messiah. That is who it is. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. His kingdom shall be established forever and ever and ever. We know the end of the story. How exciting. Our God reigns. Jesus Christ is worshiped. We know that, right? It's in the future. So right here we can see from scripture the kingdom of God is future. It is. But it's also now. We have to make sure that we don't go into this binary thinking A or B. Black or white. It can be both and. I know I've said that several times, but that kind of thinking has really freed me to see. You know, we, we come to Scripture sometimes, and it's good to, to, to use good Bible study methods. But guys, God, he does things the way he wants. There were things and there were prophecies that were given about Jesus that they just didn't understand. And we were given a fuller revelation of now in the new covenant, Right? And they're explained to us. So the kingdom of God is future, but the kingdom of God is also now. If you go to Mark, I'm going to read these scriptures for sake of time. Feel free to go there, write them down, check them out. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 to 15 says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And what was the gospel of God? What was the gospel, the good news saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he explains to Nicodemus what it is to be born again. Verse 5 of John 3, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17. <clears throat> well, within the church age, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's telling Christians how they ought to conduct themselves and live in the kingdom of God. But wait, it's future. Yes, but it's also now in part in fullness yet to come. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven, which put in the dough begins to work itself over time until it rises. It's like a seed, a mustard seed, which is very small, but then it grows into a mustard plant. And now birds come and do this. There is an expansion to the kingdom and a full implementation of the kingdom, if I could say it that way, that God will do himself. Already... Not yet. Already, not yet, is the term that you would use to describe this. In Mark 14, 25, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. People were met with violence, with great force to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus even told the Pharisees, the prostitutes and tax collectors, enter into the kingdom of God before you do. And you see them try to enter in, and you try to hold them back with all these do's, with all these don'ts. You keep that key back from them. 
but they enter in before you. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to eat and drink in that kingdom with you one day. Already, not yet. In other words, it's this. Christ is reigning now and the kingdom of God has arrived. At the same time, the church awaits the future consummation of the divine reign. This already and not yet dimension of the kingdom of God implies it is both a given reality. It's given and it's real here. It's at work and present. This divine power is at work and present. And it's a process that is moving towards its future fulfillment or completion. The kingdom of God is here already. But we've seen in Daniel, it's not yet there in fullness and destruction of all earthly kingdoms. So how do we live in that tension? How do we live in the tension of seeing Daniel and what's to come, but yet I'm already in it now? What do I do with that? I remember there was a time I was sitting at, I was still living at home, and uh, we had been reading some scripture as a family. You know, we used to read books together as a family, some missionary biographies as a family too. Even as grown adults, it was awesome. We just read out loud to each other. We were reading scripture, and we were just pondering some things, and I was thinking about the rapture. And I just, I just sat there, and I was like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, he's coming at any moment. But what do I do now? You know, and it was just... It was one of those things that was worth pondering, but I didn't know what to do with it at that time. It's like I didn't have the, the capacity spiritually or mentally to really kind of grasp this and what to do. So what I'd like to do is go to First Peter. Peter, I think, is a great man to listen to right here because it was on the day of Pentecost that he said, this is what Joel spoke of, that in the last days would occur. And if you look at the whole New Testament, even beyond Peter, this is, the New Testament is an end times collection of books. We are in the end times right now, not in the tribulation, but in the final moments before Christ takes his church out and the establishment of the reign of God after the tribulation. We are in those final moments. And the disciples constantly said in their letters, we're looking, we're looking. Be expectant. Live in such a way that he's coming. Jesus even said, who's that good servant? He's the one who is looking for his master. Not growing tired. Not growing weary. With that constant expectation in their mind. And I'd like to do a survey of sorts of 1 Peter. And kind of drop down at a few places. To pull out what Peter was saying to Christians. In this kind of manual for end times living. And I want to give you all a few thoughts here. I'm not, I'm not really a point preacher, but I'll give you all a few statements if you want to write them down. And then you can write the scriptures underneath them. Peter said this, we should live with inexpressible joy while we expectantly wait for Jesus. Live with inexpressible. It means we don't even have the capacity in our human bodies, even as born again people, to hold and to display Joy while we wait for Jesus. The second thing would be this. Live holy and honor those in authority. That's a tough one. Live holy and honor those in authority. The third thing would be this. Suffer well. Understanding this is not our home. Suffer well. The amount of times that he talks about suffering in 1 Peter... It's like, it, 
It's, it's just a reality we're going to suffer, so I'm glad God enters into that and tells us how to suffer. Suffer well with the understanding this is not our home. That's how we can suffer with hope. This is not my home. This is not the end. There is a kingdom coming. There is life ahead. And I have a God who's present now. Be a good steward of all God has given you. Be a good steward of all God has given you. And the final thing would be this. Above all, love. Above all, love. In 1 Peter, verses 8 to 9, we're told to live with inexpressible joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You don't see him, but you love him. And you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. And it's not just inexpressible, it's, it's filled with glory. Like there is the touch of God. There is this glory of God bestowed upon the kind of joy you have. And it's not even a human joy. It's a, it's a supernatural joy that comes from being united to Christ. Loving him. Being with him. Believing in him. In this relationship of love with him. It bubbles up. It comes out. And it's inexpressible. Why are you happy? How, Michelle, can you work at a previous, not now, in times past, circumstances of great difficulty, which are causing you to suffer and grading you down and wearing you down in the flesh. And yet, even under that pile of rubble, there is a joy. There is. Maybe not as much as we'd want to come out in a moment, but it's there. How is it there? Because I'm connected to the true vine and his name is Jesus. And that fruit of love and joy and all this is coming out. Living in the end times, living in this kingdom now while waiting for it to come, we should be a joyful people. Not by pulling up our bootstraps and faking it, but by drawing near to our true vine, by drawing near to Jesus. And I would encourage you, what does that look like? How do I, how do, I do that? I would just say this, write down this, John chapter 15. Go and read through it and read through it and read through it again. Then pick up another Bible translation and read through it and read through it and read through it again and do that to a third translation and do it and do it and do it again and write down the things that come to you. Write down the points that come up. Worship God through it. If you have a fireplace, put on a few logs, get a cup of coffee or something in the morning and just read through that and let the Holy Ghost draw you to Jesus to love him and to abide in him and the joy will come. And if you need some human help, go get the book, The True Vine by Andrew Murray and read one chapter a day and then go back into the scripture and read it and you will not lack. Even if you did that for a week, two weeks or a month or a quarter, you would take so much from it and you would have this inexpressible joy in spite of everything else going on because you are looking into the eyes of your beloved and he is looking back and you're embracing him and he's embracing you. It says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope, your hope, even in the midst of sober-minded action, and preparation. There's hope that we set. We hang it like on a hook. 
I'm putting all the weight of this on this hope fully. I'm setting my hope fully on the grace that will be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm living right now in the kingdom with the hope fully of the kingdom in fullness because the kingdom has a king. And that's what makes it glorious. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is temporary. This is not our home. Just as the children of Israel lived in Babylon for a certain amount of time. And it, and it, it was the understanding, 70 years will be fulfilled there, but you're coming out. You might live here now on earth, but the time is coming where you're coming out. And then the prophets would prophesy to them, so live this way. Plant gardens. Raise your families. Live for God there. Don't worship the false gods. Disciple your children. The same commands I gave before, let these things be written on your heart and, and, and speak of them when you stand up and, you, and, and you're down sitting. Do the same thing there. It's that same kind of language that's hearkening back to that. This is not our home. No more than Babylon was the home to the Jewish people. It's no more our home here than to the very one those prophecies were given to Daniel. How did he live? He didn't defile himself. With worship to idols. He lived for God. He got revelation like no one did. He got sick. He fasted. He spoke to angelic beings getting the message of God. And you know what it says he did at the end of that? He got up and went back to the king's business. The dude was faithful in his job with all that he had. With all of this living for God. With all that we do. He is our example. And then he went back and he did the king's business. He even got sat down. Now, now you're not as important, Daniel. A new emperor is coming here. A new, a new king. But he was still faithful. So let's be faithful wherever he has placed us. Live holy and honor those in authority. 1 Peter 2, 9-12 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal peace, a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He makes us holy by his spirit, by his grace. We have been given a status, if you will. We have been adopted. We have been made great things which we do not deserve. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his possession that we may proclaim his gospel to those around us. His excellencies. The gospel message is the death, is the burial, the resurrection, is that he came, the, 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 you know, the one who was promised in Genesis 3 to crush the enemy. He came. This is what he did. And he rose again. And he's coming again. And let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how excellent my Jesus is. Let me proclaim to you what he has done in my life. I used to be this. There was a time in my life, like we're learning over in the discipleship class. There was a time in my life where I was depressed and I was alone. But then Jesus came in with his truth. He adopted me and he gave me new life. And now I have purpose and friendship with God. Let's express his excellencies to this world. 
once you were not a people. We, very few of us in here were Jewish. Maybe there would be, maybe, I think, two hands here that would be raised to say, I was ethnically Jewish, so I was a part of the people of God in the natural sense. But I'm a Gentile in the flesh. I was once not a people, but now I am a part of God's people. Once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. So with that in mind, verse 11, Beloved, I urge, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's live in such a way that they have no excuse. Let's live in such a way by the grace of God, even in all of our failures, even when we blow it on the job site, in our family, in our neighborhood, whatever, where we say, God, do a work in me, where they have zero excuse because they've seen you live in me and it's not my bad abilities. Suffer well. Well, sorry, before I get there, the hard part. 2.13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors that's sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Who was the emperor, the king, at the time of the apostles of Rome? Nero. Anybody know anything about Nero? Evan, can you give us one or two details real quick? Pretty nice guy, yeah? No? He, he, he ended up persecuting Christians. We believe he killed both Paul and Peter. He burned Rome. Blamed it on the Christians. He did unspeakable things, which if I said here, and I'm not afraid to like say things that are maybe a little edgy. I don't want to like glorify edginess or anything, but he did things that I can't even speak of right here that are so perverse and horrendous. And yet the Holy Spirit said, be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who are evil. What would that look like if we did that for the president of our United States? Let's make it real. Whether previous or current or future, what would that look like? This is the will of God, verse 15. I mean, you can't fight with scripture. I'm not saying you have to agree with all of his policies. I'm not saying that we know biblically that there are certain things that are absolutely wrong and we can say, why is this happening But it says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. He says it again, just in case we don't like what he said. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Why do you keep telling me to live like this? Because you're exiles and you're sojourners. And what is a better testimony to the king? Getting on Facebook and blasting and railing Leadership, what if we stopped and prayed for them? When is the last time tears came to your eyes praying for the leadership in your country, saying, save him, or do we just pray, judge them? Is that what scripture commands us to do? Again, I feel a little tension in the room. Hear me. This brought tension to my heart. What would this look like in me to do this? But if we're going to live in the kingdom in such a way and not for the kingdom of America, but for the kingdom of God, my allegiance is that king first and it governs my speech within this kingdom that live on in the earth. I still vote. 
I still try to influence people the right way. I still hold to scripture. I still say, why in the world are we doing this? Why have we not done that? What, what, look at the future. What's going to happen in all this? Lord Jesus, we deserve your judgment. Have mercy. Would you save them? I would love to see them babble no more. I'd love to see them speaking in tongues. I would love to see the gibberish that comes out of certain people's mouths be prayer languages to God because they fear you. You're able to do it. Look what you did to Nebuchadnezzar. The man ate grass for seven years and he feared God. Our leadership at whatever level is not beyond that. God, help us to do that and teach us what that means. We're told to suffer well and I'll blast through the rest of this for the sake of time. We're told to suffer well. He says suffering about five, six, seven, eight times in this book because in first in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, it says we have been picked up out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. And that means warfare. It means warfare. There was warfare between the kingdom of light and darkness before you and I ever entered it. So when we enter in and our allegiance is to our King Jesus, we're automatically now soldiers fighting for a king and taking fiery arrows. And sometimes we get shocked. We're like, I thought this was my best life now. I thought this was about speak these things and the power of I am and all this other stuff. And we're like, where is this? It's like, oh, I read the Bible instead of those foolish books. And I'm like, oh. And all who will live in Christ Jesus will endure suffering. Hmm. Okay, didn't realize that. Come follow me. Take up your cross daily. But there's fullness of joy, and that's how Peter started this letter. I don't want us to get bogged down with, oh, I'm supposed to suffer, and oh, they don't like me. No, there's an inexpressible joy in the midst of it. Haters going to hate, but you know what? Abider's going to abide, you know, and fruit's going to fruit. So if we abide, it's going to come out. Yeah. Come on. Hallelujah. You can make a bumper sticker. <laughs> First Peter uh, 1, 6-7. It says that we might, it says in this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, other translations may say this, temptations. But we have to be careful not to import this meaning of temptations. We're not talking about the temptation to badmouth someone. We're talking in that word actually means a trial. It's a trial. It's a trial. You might be in the midst of a trial, but God wants you to know that it is going to work genuine faith in your life. It's able to do that because this is not our home. God doesn't tempt anyone, but we may fall into various trials. It can produce faith in our lives. You can read this yourself later, but just from a high level, we're supposed to be a good steward of all God has given us. A good steward of the gospel, of his grace. A good steward of God's gifting to us within the body. A gifting of your calling as a whole. Be a good steward of your family. Peter begins to say, he begins to say, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. That's good stewardship. And he even says you might win them Without a word. By living the word, you might not win them with the word, your words. This. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but if you're a spouse and if you're a wife and you're married to someone who maybe doesn't follow the Lord, you could think, I, I got to win them. I, I got to speak this to them. I got to do this. I got to help them to see this. This is going to bring destruction. This is going to do this to our family. This is gonna... Peter's saying, live for the Lord. 
Honor the Lord. Submit lovingly to your husband in a godly way. And that lifestyle is going to preach to him. And you might win him. You might win him. I was reading a book recently, and it spoke about this woman who, she loved the Lord, but she had a horrid temper. Horrible. And she would go off on her husband all the time. And she kept telling her pastor, pastor, he just won't get saved. All of this. And then she realized, I've got the worst temper in the world. God, help me. Help me. She goes home. Husband says something. She doesn't react. Husband looks and says, I want to be saved. I knew if he could hold your mouth, he could save my soul. (laughs) That was good. That's good Bible preaching. I think I read that or I'm quoting somebody else. However, I, I, I do know that that happened. At least they said it did. But above all love and all these things love. And, and, and immediately after that, it says husbands love your wives. Be the kind of a spouse. Be the kind of a spouse that a wife could submit to. Love. And, and how, do, how do we define love? The cross. That's the true definition of love. It's not some uh, sexual appetite it's not you're, you're a good friend. It's I'm willing to lay down my life for you, to die for you, to give you what is best for you. That is a declaration of love. And that is a kind of love we're told at the end of this book we're to have. The end of all things that is at hand. Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Music team, please come up to close. We're way past our time. Love covers a multitude of sins. Lee preached this, and I'm sure he'll revisit this in the future. Love one another. Show hospitality to one another. And how do we do that? By loving God first. We prepare for the coming kingdom by living in this way right now. And it all flows out of love for God and the love of everyone around us, even the unwicked and the unworthy whether they be the difficult in your own walls of your home and all the way up and as far away as the king or the emperor or the president and those in authority. So Father, I just, I just thank you that there's a coming kingdom. I thank you that there is joy. I thank you for all of this. And God, I am very desperate for me not to just preach these things, but to live these things in my own life. I am very aware that I need this for me. And I, I feel very aware, Holy Spirit, that I don't wanna just be a preacher and not a doer. And that you will hold me in account of these things. And so I ask you to imprint this upon my heart. That this seed would fall on good ground in my life. On all of our hearts today. And that we would live as such a people. That we are exiles on the earth. And we are expectantly looking for a kingdom. And as exciting as end times is. That we wouldn't just have mental stimulation. Because of all these interesting facts. Figures. Pictures. Charts but it would affect the way I live and I love those closest to me. And Lord, that people, I would live in such a way that people would be attracted through my lifestyle. But you gotta do it. And we lift that up to you right now, God.